We bought him. Mike. Park City. We bought him. Mike. This town ain't big enough for the both of us. Hello, boys. Welcome to We Bought a Mic, a pop culture podcast here on a crisp, cool, chilly February night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's chilly. It's a wee bit chilly. I had a beanie on earlier. As as anyway. chilly as it gets in ye old Florida. We turn that fan off, by the way. Yeah, there's a fucking fan on. Yeah, it's, uh, you gotta you gotta keep the I'm freezing my ass you off. Keep the air circulating <laughs> in here. <laughs> so we get cold. stinky when we record. Put a lot of work. If you, into if you this. want, Drew, I could let you borrow my Boston Celtics hoodie. That might keep you a little bit more warm. You know, we we could have no, gone this whole okay. episode without you mentioning. No, we couldn't. No, no, we we were gonna get to it eventually. Um. Hey, hello, welcome. I'm Ernest. I am live from Park City, Utah. Hunter. I'm Drew. <laughs> we got a chill one. Not just chilly, chill. Because we just did four episodes, a whole month straight of heavy lists. Um, and today, we're going to take a step back. going to relax. Take it smooth. Take it slow. And just catch up on some things that we've been watching. And we can start off with what Hunter's been watching, because I think you've got uh, you got a lot of reporting to do here. Yeah, in the world I I'm actually film. I'm coming in now. It's crazy how clear you guys are, because I am live on the ski slopes right now of Park City, Utah. Um, I didn't realize that the Sundance Film Festival was virtual this year, so I just bought a ticket and then I just stayed in my hotel room for 72 straight hours and just watched movies. It was great. My girlfriend loved it. Um, no, I, uh, I attended Sundance, the Sundance Film Festival this year, but virtually because they are doing, I think that they are doing some in-person things or like some remote, uh, showings at like bigger cities and stuff like that for certain like films. Like drive-ins? Yeah, drive-ins, doing like one or two films. But for the most part, it's all virtual this year. Anybody could buy a ticket and just watch them all from the comfort of your home. Um, because of that... Sundance didn't have nearly as many of the heavy hitters this year as they have otherwise. I mean, well, Sundance is always more like a low key fest. It is, but there's the always ones. like a handful of movies where it's like, oh, yeah, this will be in the conversation. Like Minari, I think Nomadland came out at Sundance. I know Minari for sure came out at Sundance last year, um, which is one of the best films of this year. Um, this year, a lot of people. Because of two real factors, um, a festivals are mainly used for either like getting clout or to get your movie bought with the expansion of streamers. Uh, more movies are already acquired before they go to Sundance. So it's just kind of to increase a critical word of mouth. And I think that a lot of distributors were just kind of worried, like, what will the word of mouth be if people aren't going to a festival to see stuff, if they're just watching stuff on their living room TV? Well, the other thing is just how can a movie even what what the the big thing that 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 I've been seeing or that I've felt watching things at home is that the movies don't hit as hard. So if you have a lot of confidence in your movie. And you think it might hit better if you wait until you can show it in a theater. And that, that might be another reason, you know, just how are people going to perceive it yep. from um, their homes? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. I should say I did not uh, <coughs> buy the full event pass because uh, GameStop stock is tanking right now. I am in the hole, um, so couldn't really afford the full pass. But I, uh, I got a day pass in that day. Um, I watched nine movies within 24 hours of each other. It was the most I've ever done in my life. I don't recommend it. Um, I was like withered and worn down by the end of it. I'm sure. 
But I do think that I did a pretty good job with my scheduling of kind of mixing in films in the right time slot to kind of keep me awake and keep me alert. Um, I missed some of the bigger movies. Of course, I didn't see um, Judas and the Black Messiah, which was one of the more notable films. We're about mostly, to see that. Though. Yeah, mostly because it comes out in a week. And I was like, I can wait if I'm going to pay money. I'd rather see films where it's like, I don't know when I might have another chance to see this movie. I don't know when it's going to get distributed or if ever, because uh, that's the thing that happens a lot of times with Sundance movies is maybe somebody buys them and then they are like a straight to Tubi release and hey. <laughs> forgotten forever. Um, so I uh, I missed Miss Judas and the Black Messiah, Missed Passing, which was a movie I was really interested in. Um, that's the film starring Ruth Nega and Tessa Thompson about uh, two black women on opposite sides of the racial line in like 1920s New York. Um, it's also uh, directed by our girl, Rebecca Hall, who we were just watching in the town the, the other town, day. The town, baby. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, her directorial debut. Really wanted to see that. Didn't have a chance to. That's so crazy that she's a director now. Yeah. That's awesome. I've heard I've heard like I don't want to say mixed reviews because they have been positive, but a little bit more tepid of a response than I was it's expecting. Her, it's her first movie. Yeah, like, I guess it just like it had all the elements of a movie like, oh, we're going to be talking about this for a while. Um, but I don't know. I don't want again. I don't want to jump to conclusions about anything because I haven't seen the movie. Um, I didn't have a chance to see Flea, which was a movie I heard a lot of great buzz about. It's kind of this crudely animated film that uh got a lot of buzz a lot of people talking about one of their favorite things but i did see a few of the other heavy hitters that were at the event so i'm gonna kind of go in a little bit in like backwards order of what i saw i can kind of skip past a bunch of them really quick that wasn't as high on um first of all i saw a movie called wild indian which is a movie that actually had some a little bit of buzz going up into its release. It was uh, co-starring Jesse Eisenberg about uh, two Native American men um, who share a traumatic secret in their life. Um, just didn't really work for me. There's some good performances, but overall it like, I don't mean this to sound in a condescending way, but like it had like first filmmaker vibes and that like it was somebody it was a really good idea and it just didn't quite expand I feel like that's a lot of Sundance yeah um I mean it was still biggest things it's it's people making their first mark on yeah I mean exactly like I'm not gonna be too hypercritical of it because I mean it was still pretty enjoyable I liked a good bit of it it came from like a really cool angle about coming the main protagonist is like this awful human being who did an atrocious act and we just are stuck with him the entire film but it just didn't quite land for me. Um, can, uh, can we just backtrack a second? Can you talk a little bit about like how the process is of actually watching these movies? Do you just go to Sundance.com? Yeah, so pretty much. So, yeah, I yeah, I should have uh, elaborated on that. Yeah, I just bought a ticket through their website and they did a pretty good job at they would have a premiere time where it would be like this movie is premiering at six o'clock and then they would give you a four hour window to watch the film so you could you stream it from the site you yeah, don't you download stream, it you stream or... it from the site um to like cut down on pirating and all that kind of stuff excuse me um and then they also had a bunch of films that were second viewings uh that were just available on demand throughout the day um you couldn't completely make your schedule everything ideally that you wanted to do like passing i really wanted to see but that sold out really quick they still sold out sold out tickets online i think just to help with their servers and stuff like that um by the way sundance.com looks like sells microprocessors um some sort of computing.org some sort of computing technology so that's not the sundance that i was at are um, you sure well you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, it was a lot of like ones and zeros that I was watching on screen. Do they, do they make drone like drones for the military? Yeah. 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 Sundance is like really into Bush's America. It wants to get back to those glory days like H.W. Bush. Um, mm. <laughs> we all miss that guy, right? Did no wrong. <laughs> yeah. Graphics um, cards. One other uh, film that I just wasn't high on. I know friend of the pod, Adam, was high on uh, was a film Superior. Just didn't really work for me. Really pretty, really cool idea. Just 
did not land for me. I mean, um, if you if you said you're burnt out from nine movies in 24 hours, I can only think about what Adam. Yeah, I don't know how right Adam now. does this, man. It's uh, well, the thing is that if I if I would have bought the full pass, I would have been able to pace myself a little bit more because I could have been like, all right, I'll do six movies each day and stuff like that. But because I only bought a day pass, it was like. I'm waking up at 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. and I'm not going to sleep until 2:30. Like that Yikes. is what my plan was, and I didn't sleep for shit. Uh, that's kind of I might be I don't even want to jump to too many conclusions about Superior because that was the last movie that I watched, and right. I was like kind of fading. I was like, yeah, I can't. It's not captivating me right now. But that's fair. I shouldn't have to demand that a film captivate me after being my ninth movie of the day. Do you get to vote? on the awards no that's uh just the jury votes which is like there's no audience selection of maybe there is i don't know how they handled that this year um i know a lot of other festival awards do like like uh audience awards and stuff like that but i'm not sure about sundance to be perfectly honest with you um yeah i mean overall like i'd say like i had despite having to cram so much in one day like i would love to go to sundance to do this and to jump around and go see all the different films and stuff like that slip around on the ice that's a whole nother thing was they had a bunch of uh like it they called it like new frontier or like the unknown stuff that was like the super indie films like you look them up on letterbox and they do not have anything like some documentaries some shorts uh that a lot of times they're animated and documentary shorts go on to be nominated for oscars I just didn't have time for those. They did a thing, a VR thing that Adam uh, sent a screenshot to our group chat. That is the most dystopian thing I've ever seen in my life. It's uh, something that you did with VR headset or something like that, where you were on like a little animated stick figure body and you got to go like do meet and greets with Edgar Wright and all this kind of stuff walking around. You mean the director of the Sparks Brothers documentary? Hey, just say that all the right. Edgar Wright. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a lot to say about that guy. Um, but yeah, I didn't I didn't even have a chance to do any of that, nor do I have an Oculus Rift to actually go on with that. Um, but anyways, uh, these are now like the other seven movies that I'm going to go through are films I really enjoyed. Um, first up was one that I do think was a little bit of a disappointment just because of the hype going into it. It's a uh, street gang colon how we got to Sesame Street. Not a great title. Street for Gang. This, for the Sesame Street well, movie. So I was really excited for this movie because like going into it, it was getting buzzed like it's going to be this year's Won't You Be My Neighbor. Won't You mm. Be My Neighbor. Fucking incredible film. And it's a little bit down the middle. Um, not like from a uh, actual subject point of view because Sesame Street was groundbreaking like in more ways than one. They focused on an inner city setting they were trying to appeal to low-income children specifically low-income black children was the whole market of the show and the filmmaking itself doesn't really do that much it's already acquired by hbo docs um which that kind of seems like the perfect home for it just that it's like I'd still recommend watching it because there's a bunch of stuff that I learned about the making of Sesame Street and you get to just see um just uh like some great Jim bits Henson. between Frank Oz and Jim Henson, like just them doing bits with each other. That's it's fucking awesome. Like it kicks ass. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it was a groundbreaking show. Not only did it have the racial line of things, but like I remember when I was a kid, uh, there's the episode where um, one of the older characters or one of the older actors on the show dies and they talk about the backstory behind it, about how they tried to be like, oh, yeah, no, he went away. He won't come back now. And um, they decided like no, we're gonna we're gonna talk about death to children, and they use Big Bird as like the children audience. Where Big Bird's like, "Oh yeah, I drew him a picture. I'll give it to him when he gets back." And they have to explain to him like, "No, when you die, you don't come back. Like that's it. That's like heavy shit yeah. for like kids to have to deal with mm. and stuff like that. Like it's it's really rough. Like they it, should just watch Soul. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, not yeah. not in the nineties. I don't think. Um, <laughs> Kids, just just wait. There's gonna be this movie in yeah. 2020. <laughs> they it's gonna explain out. the whole child, thing. He won't be a child anymore. But um, that's okay. It's not for children. <laughs> yeah, but Street Gang, uh, it'll pop up on HBO. I'm gonna guess like sooner rather than later since it's already bought by them. And it's still it's still a fun watch. Like it's still a good time. Um, 
couple horror movies I want to shout out to. Uh, one of them is a Swedish film called Knocking. Um, it's a really brisk 78 minutes. It's really just one actress who uh, tragedy comes into her life. Um, she moves to this new apartment building and she starts hearing knocking on the ceiling. And so she's trying to go around and investigate it. And there's a lot of like gaslighting kind of themes going on here. And it's playing with your brain about like, is she actually like delusional? Like what's happening here? I thought it was like just a really good psychological thriller. And that was the first film that I watched. I watched at midnight the night before my film watching thing. But it seems like that's going to be a shutter movie. If I had to make a guess, either Shudder or it'll get bought by Hulu for, you know, how Hulu does like the 30 days, 32, 31 days of Halloween. I don't know how many fucking days there are on October. Jesus. Um, yeah, but it's a uh, really good, really short film. I liked it a lot. Another one uh, that it's got a 24 written all over it. It's called eight for silver. Um, it's a film from uh, director Sean Ellis, who has made a couple of shorts before that played at Sundance. I'm not sure if he may, he might've made uh, another feature length film before this, but I was sold immediately as soon as I saw this film advertised because it gave me heavy, the witch vibes. Mm. Um, it's a period piece set in 19th century, um, 19th century England and a family is on a ground uh, like a very wealthy family is on kind of this ground where some witchcraft things start happen. And it's basically the premise kind of sounds like the witch except with a werewolf. And so I was immediately sold on this idea. And overall, like it's a really fun movie. I think it does a really good job of weaving the line between art horror and um, like mass audience popcorn horror. That kind of scares me a little bit because that makes me think maybe it won't have an audience on either side. Um, but I mean, there's some really good creature effects. Uh, there are some jump scares, but the film isn't reliant upon the jump scares to get its tone across. Really, it kind of, instead of The Witch, it more gave me closer vibes to a film that I know you love, Ernest. It comes at night. Okay. okay. Um I mean, there kind of is actually, it is, I mean, there's more, like, there is creatures in this film. So it's not quite like it comes at night, but kind of the general tone, the general feeling of dread. Yeah. That, that's kind of what evoked the that paranoia. feeling for me. Yeah, just, it's an entire film about paranoia and this overwhelming, looming feeling of dread. Um, I said, I feel like it's going to get acquired by A24, especially because A24 is kind of branching out a little bit in that horror genre. They had St. Maud last year, which was a little bit more popcorn-y. Yeah, A24 horror is going to start to be a thing, you know, between yep. what Ari Aster has done and like, I guess, is The Witch A24? Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah. Yeah. Because I know The Lighthouse. Is The Lighthouse A24? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're both A24. Um, that's that. Um, Number three and four on my list are a pair of uh, music documentaries. First of all, I want to talk about Summer of Soul or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. Uh, this is the directorial debut of Questlove. Um, yeah. And it is about uh, summer 1969, just a few hundred miles away from where Woodstock was being held. Uh, the Harlem Cultural Festival took place. And this was a huge monumental event that has just been lost to history because of Woodstock. But at this show, there's everybody from Stevie Wonder, B.B. King, Fifth Dimension. And there's like just all these incredible black performances. And it's just been completely forgotten because Woodstock is the big ticket thing that has all the big, big names on it. But I thought this was like really delightful. It's kind of a mix it's like half concert documentary half or half concert film half documentary which is a little bit to the film's detriment because you can tell like Questlove where he was thriving was just like in the concert shots like just like let me just like have this archival footage and just watch Stevie Wonder just fucking riffing on piano mm. and then just go run over and just start playing the drums like that is where the film thrives but 
because this is kind of a lost event, they do have to do some of the documentary work of like explaining what 1960s New York was at the was like at the time. Um, but it's still really fun. Um, it was like a midday watch for me and it like kind of gave me a breath of new life going into the, the second, second half. half yeah. yeah, it was really nice. I do really, um, uh, really enjoyed it a lot. I don't know where it's going to go to, um, but I definitely will rewatch it again because it was just a blast. Has Netflix watch. been picking up things at Sundance? Um, I have not seen anything yet. I know uh, we'll, we'll get to um, the big ticket item in just a second. Uh, they could they could easily pick this up. I feel yeah, like this seems like it would be a good Netflix property. Um, the or other- maybe Peacock, you know, Peacock. Yeah, they Peacock could fill original. out their Questlove has that NBC hey, relationship hey, there. Yeah. Maybe yeah. A Peacock original movie (laughs) um but this is the the real one that i wanted to talk about and that is the sparks brothers directed by edgar wright um hunter has been going on and on about sparks now so do you guys ernest have you ever heard of the band never in my life okay so that was why edgar wright wanted to make this film because the whole premise of it is like this is the greatest band that no one knows about like they have inspired Everyone from Joy Division, New Order, Sonic Youth, uh, fucking like they might be giants, Nirvana, Bjork, Depeche Depeche Mode, um, Duran Duran, all these people. And yet nobody, especially nobody in the States knows who this band is. Um, They have put out 25 albums. They were they were like. They originated in Los Angeles, but the thing is that they never really got picked up by American stations. So they moved kind of to England and they blew up in England. They were huge in the dance scene and uh, kind of the indie rock scene at the time. Um, But this documentary, I was listening to Sparks in anticipation of this because I was like, oh, you know, I got to see the new Edgar Wright film. But let me listen to the band a little bit. And I was already just like, yeah, I'm sold on these guys. I'm a fan. After watching this documentary, like I'm, I'm a lifer. I'm, I'm all in on Sparks. They are now rising up my list of just my bands that I will listen to at any point. I have listened to Sparks nonstop since seeing this thing. And the thing is, because they put out 25 albums, they've been so prolific. They have all these different stages to their career. They started out kind of in this indie, almost like prog rock kind of scene, uh, but still like more poppy that could be on the radio. It wasn't like full prog, like something like Yes or something else of the time. But there are those seeds in there. And then uh, the second act of their career, they got picked up by a little known producer by the name of Jojo Marauder. Oh, hell yeah. Um, who... Like this was before Giorgio became anything. This was in 1979. So before the electronic boom that took over the world and they made an entirely electric album or entirely synthesized album. And it is fucking awesome. It's stuff that could still like come out today and it would still be like you would want to put this shit on at a club. It's absolutely incredible. Um, and it's funny they have all these like talking heads that come in during it and like Depeche Mode came in and they're just like yeah like it's kind of good that nobody knows who Sparks was because then like we would have never been famous because people have been like (laughs) these guys are just ripping off of Sparks Um, which is what they were doing yeah people like Fred Armisen Scott Ackerman pop up in there and they're just like yeah like this is my favorite band ever I just listen to these guys constantly um scotty boy and then they've kind of had another late stage revival here now uh but yeah it's following um these two main brothers uh ron and russell male um they are not ron russell sparks uh unlike what the title says um but it's kind of the way that this the reason why this film works because it is over two hours which is kind of longer for a music documentary it's two hours 15 minutes but the two main reasons why it works is one, because Sparks have had these different stages and it had these different like there there is kind of a through line through all of their music. But like you can kind of jump in and there is a real progression to the music that you're listening to, which kind of gives 
the movie a bit of propulsion. And the other thing is just Edgar Wright directs the fucking hell out of this. Yeah, that that's my biggest question is like, how does this feel like an Edgar Wright movie? Because he has a very particular visual style, editing style. Like you can tell when you're watching an Edgar Wright movie. And does this feel like it? Does this look like it? So it does and it doesn't like you could tell I feel like he really wanted to t- make just more of like a straight story but there's still like some real Edgar Wright flourishes and they're like one of them will be giving an anecdote and it cuts away to this like really crude animation of like two people like where it's just like all animation and then just like actual live heads on them like talking and so like there's just these little Edgar Wright flourishes in there that are just really beautiful to watch. And it, it really is like super stylized despite being kind of a down the middle. We're going to start with their origin story with this small band, half Nelson, and then end up in 2020 in the pandemic times where they're like wearing masks and stuff. It still keeps you engaged throughout between the direction. And it's just all the sparks and needle drops that happen throughout it. Um, I could write as the king of the needle drop. Yeah. I mean, and this is I that's another reason why you can tell he wanted to do stuff, because he can just like weave these in and he uses songs by Sparks to like tell a little mini story within the film itself. Mm. Um, Yeah, I I fucking love this. I highly recommend whenever anybody gets a chance to see this, even if you have never heard of the band Sparks before. uh, Check these guys, check the movie out and listen to Sparks. I'd say listen to Kimono My House is their biggest album. Uh, that was kind of my entry point into them. But also Edgar Wright made like a playlist, a Spotify playlist. It's just like Sparks for Dummies, Sparks for <laughs> Beginners, um, where it has like 50 songs. And I've been listening very nice a lot. Um, so next up, I just have two other movies that I'll talk about quickly. One of them uh, was probably my most anticipated film of the year. Uh, it's Gerard Carmichael's directorial debut. Of course, of the, of the festival, you mean? Or of the year? No, well, of the of the festival. Okay. Yeah, yeah, excuse me. Um, Gerard Carmichael, I fucking love this dude. He's an incredible comedian. Uh, his directorial debut, On the Count of Three. Um, I won't talk too much about this movie because I really want to watch this film with you guys whenever you see it. Uh, it's starring Gerard Carmichael and Christopher Abbott who plays uh, his friend and the basic premise of the story is the two of them decide that they're going to have a suicide pact and they're going to kill themselves at the end of the day. Wow. Um, don't don't say anything more than that. That's a lot. No. Okay. Well, here's the thing is that I know it sounds really heavy, but like it's not like this movie is like a lot of really fucking good humor in it. Um, there's one so point he, he writes, directs and stars in it. Yep, is that, is writes, it one of those and co-stars? Wow. Yeah. Um, it's like I said, it's really funny. There's one line that I've been thinking about nonstop because they decide, you know, they're going to kill themselves. So they're sitting in the car and uh, Kevin, the Christopher Abbott character puts on last resort by Papa Roach. Oh my <laughs> and, God. It's <laughs> just like, the fuck are you doing? We're not going to listen to Last Resort. And he's just like, no, man, it's about killing yourself. Listen, Gerard Carmichael is just like, I don't listen. (laughs) I'm not going to listen to Papa fucking Roach on the day I'm going to kill myself. Mm. It's, it's really good. Um, Has this been acquired? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. It wasn't, but it just premiered yesterday. Mm. So it might've gotten picked up. I could see this being, um, Amazon Prime. Perhaps? This kind of seems like an A24 movie as well. Or A24. Yeah, okay. I, it has some A24 vibes. It also, I'll tell you right now without you seeing it yet, this is primed for your under 90 minute club. It is hey, 84 yeah. minutes. There you go. Uh, which might be More the that, only thing. The only thing that I just my biggest problem with the movie is I was like, I love this. Please give me more of this right now. Um, but yeah, really fucking love that movie. Can't wait for everybody else to check it out. You know, he's. Uh, on IM, IMDb, this probably won't ever happen, but he's slated to make a Django Zorro movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's, that's going to happen. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know if that's going to I remember whenever that was announced, I was like, 
Gerard Carmichael, has he ever even made a movie? Because that was announced like a year or two ago. He probably like hung out with Jamie Foxx one day and they're like, well, yo, yo let's, let's do this. <laughs> he, yeah, he's in with a lot of people. He's directed specials before. And he also, uh, he was heavily involved in the Carmichael show, his, his sitcom. Like he directed episodes Dude, of that. That is right. Yep. That show, it only went for like. Not super long. A couple episodes. That's so crazy. It's just like. Oh no! One for two years. Yeah, it had seasons. Um, I, I, for some reason, I thought that was like a Mulaney situation that it just got canned immediately. But it, it went for a little bit. But I mean, really, check out his stand-up. His he's a great stand-up comedian. Um, yeah, I, uh, I love this dude. I can't wait for you guys to see it. Speaking of uh, that, he's in the know. I won't spoil all of them for you, but there's some incredible cameos in this movie. It's just like, yeah, uh, he fucking knows people. Um. But the big ticket item, uh, the film that sold for the most money in the history of Sundance, I saw. And that's a little film called Coda. Um, broke Palm Sp- Springs record. Broke Palm Springs record of, uh, what was it, $24 million and 69 cents uh, last year. Sold, like that. sold for $25 million to Apple, Apple Plus, Apple TV Plus original. Really? Yeah. God damn it. Dude, gotta, you guys are going to have to get... I now have had fuck. Apple on two straight podcasts. I've had to plug them for putting out good shit. It's just another streaming service. I don't service. wanna. <laughs> it's just... I know. I know it's getting overwhelming with shit, but... Um, we're we're going to do a whole fucking episode on this movie whenever it gets wide released. Because this movie is... It's special. Um, it's very simple in its story. It's kind of just a tell of a young woman deciding whether she wants to like whether she, you put individuality ahead of your family. Um, of course, CODA stands for child of deaf adults. Um, oh shit. She okay. is, uh, Amelia Jones, who is the star and really the focal point of the entire film rests on her performance is the only, uh, non deaf person in the family. Dude, this is literally the actor who plays Joe in sound of metal. Yeah, is a, he's a coda. That's the why that performance is so powerful. Yeah, because like that's his real life story. His parents were deaf. Yeah, I mean, and that's this insane. film also uses like actually deaf actors for the roles and everything. Um, I, but it is like a very like you'll watch the movie and it feels very traditional. The whole thing is that she develops a love for music and it's something that she'll never really be able to express with her parents because they'll never actually understand that. And it's really funny and really sweet. Uh, probably one of my favorite performances of the year is from uh, uh, Eugenio Derbez, who plays the uh, who has just gotten like shit roles. If you look through his IMDb, because he always gets typecast as like like he I watched a little Q&A with him um, and he was talking about just like, yeah, that's what being in Hollywood was like for so many years. That if like if you're a Mexican actor, you're hired to play the drug cartel leader or that's that's your role that you get typecast in if you see this dude you're like the fuck this guy's a drug cartel leader get the fuck out of here he plays the music (laughs) instructor and he's so goddamn charming um yeah i just i fucking love this movie uh it it is special like we're gonna be talking about that for a while i don't know if it'll be like in the awards discussion because it kind of could see it now, I don't want to praise it as much because I don't want to overhype it to you guys to say that it's like Lady Bird. But I mean, it could be like Lady Bird with its respect and appreciation, but not exactly getting the like critical love for best movie. Of yeah, I believe that. Um, I yeah. re- like this. This is one of the only years I've ever actually been interested in how award season is going to uh, pan out just because it's so weird. Yeah, yeah. it's like uh, a wild card. Yeah, your average year, I, it has no impact. It has impact on the culture, but like, I just don't care. But this year, you know, things are going to go interesting. Well, this isn't I mean, this will be a 2022 Oscar. Movie. Mm, that's right. It's coming out next year. This well, later. This yeah, year. it's it's coming out because the it's 2021 2021. <laughs> we think about us. welcome, Drew. Um, that's <laughs> fucked, man. Uh, no, I, I think that they're going to save this for next year. It kind of has like, I don't know. Like Judas and the Black Messiah, I think, is the only movie that they're like trying to like get out quick so that can be eligible for awards this year. Oh, it's 
it's so murky with the yeah. elongated elongated window. Yeah, because the window goes until end of February, I think. Uh, so that's why they're just like, we can get Judas and the Black Messiah in right yeah. under the wire. And you were getting mad at me for Portrait of a Lady on Fire being on my well, list. Well, that was actually a 2019 movie. Was it? It was. Every person I've talked to about this has said like, yeah, so that that's a 2019 release. It was released on February 14th of 2020 <laughs> in the United States. According to IMDb. I mean, I guess I don't. I who cares? It, nothing matters anymore. Uh, that was my Sundance watches. Um, so j- just run through them real quick. Just um, name them off. So kind of going the least impressive movies to the most. Uh, Wild Indian, Superior, Street Gang, How We Got to Sesame Street, Knocking, Eight for Silver, Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. Fucking dope name, by the way. Awesome yeah. name. Um, the Sparks Brothers, On the Count of Three, and Coda. Nice. Sundance 2021. And I guess the festival is still going on. It's yeah, they're actually uh, right they're now. doing out the awards right now. I was trying to see if I could get breaking news to see. I think that Coda is going to win uh, the, uh, the grand dramatic jury. grand jury prize. Unless uh, Judas and the Black Messiah they give it to, but... I feel like it's going to be Coda if I had to make a guess. Cool. Well, thanks for venturing out into the snowy depths. I did of Park it all City, for the listeners. Utah for nothing. They were like, dude, we're not. It's all virtual. You're freezing out here for nothing. I just I hung out with Tan. <laughs> I did. I watched the Sunday because uh, just with my ticket, you could watch like the like ah Sunday coffee roundtable. And there's a thing where like. Uh, tan from tan queer from eye. Queer. I was like, yeah, he I like see. he like lives out in Park City, and they're like, I'm gonna give you a makeover, like this like <laughs> festival producer. Hmm. <laughs> but yeah, never yeah. gets old with those guys, huh? Uh, hey, hey, he's got like his own show now on Netflix or Kill something me. where he dresses celebrities. I think well, he, he I saw a clip about... going around with him and Pete Davidson. I've never. It's on YouTube. Show. Oh, it's on YouTube. Yeah, oh, okay. he talks about how Elizabeth Warren's tax plan is. Just un-American. Hey, on the, like, bright, oh, on the bright side, I watched that interview uh, with the guy from Coda, and I watched an interview with Rebecca Hall, and Rebecca Hall seemed lovely. She does seven. seem lovely. Yeah. Ben Affleck fucked her over in the town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then left her some money, though. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, could have been worse. Worked out. Could have been worse. Drew, you got any ketchup? Yeah. Yeah. Um, filled in one of the final pieces of my Wes Anderson uh puzzle watch through um i saw fantastic mr fox mm, mr fox <laughs> for the first time am i saying that wrong um, i mean he is voiced by george clooney so I, I don't believe you're wrong yeah Clooneybag. uh there's not a ton to say about the movie it's just like you know it's brilliant it's it's so gorgeous and fun to look at and uh sweet you know what i mean uh it has it has i think it has a little more thematic sweetness than isle of dogs it's definitely a better movie than Isle. Of well dogs. the thing is after i watched this i went and rewatched isle of dogs and i was like we don't no one talked about isle of dogs man but that yeah. that movie's crazy good it's really good it like it, it in technique every technical aspect it's like head and shoulders above fantastic mr fox which of course makes sense because a lot of time passed uh and technology advanced since 2007 but uh Still, like, we can't just take that for granted. He did things that no one's ever... The way that that movie is lit is astounding, especially when you compare it to 2007, because obviously he did everything he could with 2007's technology. Um, Fantastic Mr. Fox, though, is very, very good. Um, <laughs> I feel stupid even talking about it. Like, it's it's a Wes Anderson movie. It Cute Fox. It's it's adorable. <laughs> it's sweet. Um, it You know, it has the squad in it. Uh, I Love Dogs... Y- you can definitely litigate out the the ickiness of like you know just Wes Anderson just like going into Japan and being yeah, like, like fetishizing yeah and just being like yeah you know we're in Japan but all the dogs are like my white homies voices mm-hmm. and like you know this white girl kind of comes in and saves everyone um it's not a huge part of the movie on rewatch I don't think it's I remember it being a bigger thing when I first saw it and then it's not but she does like you know come in and save everyone yeah. like she's very critical to the movie she's not all over it uh but I th- like I think it's one of the most technically well-made movies ever like 
at least that I've ever seen. It's like top five. Dude, that sushi scene is like yeah, and just that in a museum. Beyond that, the way they used like traditional animation on the TV screens, uh, like for like the news broadcasts, and then like I said, the way that they're able to light these miniatures. Like I can't really. I don't know if it's a lot of post work or what. I I think it's pretty much all in camera, from what I read. (sighs) Jesus, man. Yeah, it's insane. Wes Anderson my god yeah it's just it's like unfathomable how good everything looks um and it's very it's very cute and sad when the dogs cry they go like oh i I haven't rewatched that since we saw it back in like march of 2018 or whatever i rewatched it in theaters while it was still out and i I really enjoyed it the second time fox is better than dogs though i don't know it's it's I had seen dogs first. Fox is really good. And I think that it deserves more credit because it was more out of the blue. I, I just meant in general, just our foxes better. Than <laughs> our foxes better than dogs. No, we want them to be. We wish they yeah, were. You know what I mean? Right. But they're not meant yeah. for us. People, people who domesticate foxes are insane yeah they're not they're not made for us and that's okay maybe they maybe they in that respect they are better than dogs because they are living their own life they don't need us the i think having george clooney's voice in your movie automatically puts it at least a half to a full star above just just his voice alone voice alone clean bag baby he's so good i mean i think i i like fox a little bit more than dog uh the movie not the creature um mostly because i like how small of a story fantastic mr fox is like it's a very small story Mm. just about just you know and it's kind of like an it's like a weird like very adult themed movie like mr fox is like just kind of like bored (laughs) so he wants to like go on a heist yeah that's right I gotta rewatch it. Bit of a it. shit. I haven't seen Mr. Fox in a while. I'm trying to look up the budget because it looks like I don't see the budget for either of these for some reason. I'd I'd be willing to estimate that they're around the 50 million mark or less. Um, but I can't find it. Isle of Dogs made. Um, uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox budget was uh 40 million, according to Google. Okay. Mm. What about Olive Dogs? I'm looking that up now. Googling um, on the podcast. Buffering, one buffering. one million. <laughs> yeah, that's wrong. It says one yeah, million see, dollars. It's all the same thing. So this was on Quora.com. Uh, so that was just a random person who answered that. <laughs> Yo, that that must have cost like a million dollars. It, it looks says, so good. It says the film costs north of one million dollars to produce. Uh, yeah, I would guess so. <laughs> north of one. <laughs> This costs uh, north of $12 to produce. I think we've stumbled into a deep QAnon conspiracy theory. What was the the budget of Isle of Dogs? I can't find it anywhere. No, I can't find it either, actually. I thought that I saw it, but that was the box office total. Why are they keeping this under wraps? Mm -hmm. Can we we get Marjorie Taylor Greene on this? So, okay, the budget is estimated to be between 40 and 50 million. Yeah, that makes more sense. (laughs) So... I heard it was, the, I heard dogs the, was a flop though because it only made 61 so wow. 40 50 million not including yeah no any one kind of it, it got no buzz advertising or anything and that was a well-advertised movie too I remember yeah to it. um I heard the budget for Avengers would was north of a million dollars I want to comment on everything that's incredible <laughs> this fucking guy <laughs> minimum minimum <laughs> I think we're the budget for this podcast is south of a million. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, that's Drew's catch of Fantastic Mr. Fox now streaming on Disney Plus. Isn't that weird? Wow. What? It's a fox. It's yeah. It's a little cartoon cartoon fox. Well, also it was made by Fox. Oh shit! Fox. Do they just have a monopoly on all Fox-related media? Either put, I think that most Fox stuff it's either on Hulu or Disney Plus now because they still. I mean, Disney owns both. So, did they just own like big Fox? Do you need me to explain the the corporate monopoly that we're working into if right I, now? If Disney I wanted to make everything? a movie about a Fox, do I have to? Make you have it? to go through Fox. Yeah, Ex- exactly. 
That's fucked up. I mean, if you want to make a movie about like a really huge experiment experience, you got to go through Paramount. About a big mountain? Yeah. So if I want to make a big mountain yeah, movie? Yeah, big, big, big mountain movie, you got to go through. You want to make a movie about a uh, uh, a Pegasus of sorts? Gotta go TriStar. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> Can I, if you want to make, make, make a movie about a sun? Gotta go Sunny. Sunny? Sunny Picture Classics? I thought you were about to go with like, if you want to make a movie set on Earth, you gotta go to Universal. Mm. No, that's if you want to make a space movie. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Do well, you know Avengers Endgame was made by Universal? It's crazy. It well, costs north of a million dollars. <laughs> Let's end it with my ketchup. <laughs> Actually, I could go on for a little while here because I have a lot to talk about if we wanted to. Let's see how much time we got. We're Let's take a vote. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're cooking with gas right now. <laughs> yeah, can, uh, I'll, I'll touch on a couple things. So... I watched a little something called In and of Itself on Hulu. Mm. Um, it is a like a magic show. Um, but it's also kind of like, you know how Burbig Mike Burbiglia, like his comedy specials are like him telling a story and it's not really like a traditional stand up show. Yeah. But it, it's more like driven by the emotional through line of the story he's telling yeah imagine that but instead of jokes it's magic tricks <laughs> that's pretty much what this man, is. man that I, that doesn't sound good to me so i know that i'm sure it is but just that that didn't uh i think hit. that this show in and of itself your mileage may vary on what you make of this i saw a lot of people on twitter hailing this as like the second coming of Jesus Christ, the best thing they've ever seen in their lives. And I watched it and I was like, this is, this is good. This is pretty good, but it's not the greatest thing I've seen. I think it would have been a lot better if I were in the audience. Mm -hmm. It seems like it's one of those things where you're like, if you're there in person, it's one of those magic shows that absolutely blows your fucking mm -hmm. socks off. But when it's you know filmed and edited kind of loses a little bit of that magic a tiny bit mm -hmm. i don't want to talk about exactly what the tricks the magic tricks are because if there are any listeners out there that want to check it out i do recommend it just to see it even if you don't like it like it might not be your thing but i don't want to like get into specifics because part of what makes these types of things good is to not know you know what it is so that you're surprised um but it is very unique like the title it lives up to the title mm -hmm. in and of itself right it's this guy Derek Delgaggio 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 I don't know and he is essentially telling a story through his magic show about identity and about like how we categorize ourselves as people uh, the show starts with a shot of everybody at this uh, people walking before they take their seats, um, walking up to this wall full of cards and the cards say, I am blank. Like, and it's just a bunch of different cards that say different things of I am. I am a typist. I am a photographer. I am a swimmer. I am a loser, you know, <laughs> it's just a wall full of cards and people have to stand there and pick one out. And it takes that idea and it runs with it of like how, what we try to, what type of boxes we try to put ourselves in and what that says about us and what that says about other people. You know, when you, when you try to, um, you know, categorize somebody, is that really about them or is it more about you? Is that more about how you want to feel about yourself that you're putting that person in that box? 
do you think because I saw in here uh, speaking of um, Street Gang, it's directed by Frank Oz. Yeah. When it said that at the end, I was like, that was like the biggest magic trick of all. I yeah, was like, oh, like Frank shit. Oz made this. Do you think that Frank Oz like clung to this? Because he's like, I'm more than a puppeteer. <laughs> Dude, literally exactly. Yes. And he talks about that on the big picture with Sean Fennessy. He interviewed him. Oh, wow. And he literally pretty much talks about that. How like any time that Frank Oz does any press junket interview for anything, they always want him to talk about being a puppeteer. Yeah, Muppets or Yoda or something like and that. And he's like, fuck, man. Like, am I ever going to get to do anything else with my life? And it's it's a statement on that, you know? And I think that... Derek Delgaggio is like a little bit he comes off a little bit of like up his own ass. He's like, oh, I made this show that you can't put in a box. You can't categorize my show. And I'm so intelligent about it <laughs> because I'm a genius and you can't pin me down and you can't. Well, magicians are annoying. Yeah. Yeah. But he does accomplish some magical stuff i mean it's all illusions and tricks of course but there's still like that wow factor that you get with some of these illusions and again there is that emotional through line he is telling like a story in this thing um so it's it's worth checking out i recommend it um i don't think it's the second coming of jesus christ like a lot of twitter was when it was dropping i literally i literally saw tweets that was like you need to watch this. It will change your life. I have a I have a trivia question for you guys. I want to see which one of y'all is closer um, because I'm on Frank Oz's IMDb right now. Guess how many episodes of Sesame Street there were? Oh, so 500. It went from 1969 uh, to 2014. Is it over 500? Yes. 700? 800? Do you have a guess? 1,140. 1,766 episodes. Yeah. Wait, what were the years again? From 1969 to 2014. There was like little breaks in between there. But I mean, John Stone, they have a whole thing in Street Gang about John Stone, the creator, uh, about how it it broke him down mentally and emotionally, cranking out over 100 episodes a year. Yeah, dude. Because it was on every single day. Yeah, every day. Yeah. Fuck. (laughs) That's insane. Wow. So yeah, in and of itself, directed by Frank Oz, uh, written and performed by Derek Delgaggio. We're checking out. It's on Hulu. Um, I am curious if you do, if you guys do watch it, I would love to talk about like the final um, big trick that he does, because I I still can't figure out how he did it. Um, And I told Lee about it and she didn't watch it because she was like going in and out of sleep. But I, I like told her what it was and she was like, paid actors and i was like lee why do you always have to think they're paid actors <laughs> you're paid actors rocking eric girls Andre before we started the always podcast, think she's like girls always think it's paid they're actors. definitely paid it's like no eric andre you can tell that it's not because they're not having a good time it would be more elaborate to have yes paid actors. Yeah. that's what i say about nathan for you that would mean that they uh, planted these people as business owners and they kept the business after the show they just gave these that's people a business for you, 20 man. years ago like hiring an actor to run a business like, that's the longest are you out con. of your mind it's the longest con ever um no it's just a magician tricking people <laughs> like no Occam's but, razor but what he does I cannot wrap my head. I I have a theory of how he did it, but it's like, it's such a long walk to get there. It's like, it would require so much work. Like this guy would have to do so much work to get this trick to work. And I I have no idea how he did it. So check it out in and of itself. Um, And if, if you know what I'm talking about, and you're listening to this podcast and you've seen the show. I'm talking about the trick with the letters. That's the one I can't figure out. And there's a lot that are like, you know, they're still good, but that's the one that's like kind of scratching at you, my you've brain. Kind of, you've piqued my interest with this now. It's, it's, it's fun. Real quick before we wrap up, I watched Martin Scorsese's After Hours uh, for the first time. And goddamn, this movie's good. 
it's what inspired the Safties to make good time. Mm. And it feels like such a, such a direct connection to that movie um, in such a pure way. What, uh, what Scorsese movie is most comparable to uncut gems? Um, I don't know. Maybe streets. Really? No, I don't know. I I think that uncut gems is just pure safety. The Irishman really (laughs) shares a lot of DNA, very slow pacing, very deliberate. I, I think that, that the safties are pulling more from just their own expertise. And honestly, uncut gems feels more like a, um, Robert Altman movie. Yeah, I was gonna say it's, than a Scorsese. It's more. Of, it has more of like a, a alternative feel to it. Yeah, like a mash. It's more like mash um, than than Scorsese. But After Hours is like straight up good time. Although the Safties took it to another level. They added like so much more shit that makes it like way more appealing to a modern audience. That's you know we're more fried. And shit, we're like, you know, our senses are dulled and whatever. So we have to take in more stimuli to actually feel something. But it's still worth checking out. Still a fun time. And it's just good to see where the inspiration for some of the best cinematic uh, auteurs that we have working right now. Got it. You know, you can you can tell the Safties didn't just dream up that shit out of nowhere. It came from somewhere to have that inspiration and that's where it came from. So after hours, um, also checked out uh, Kong skull Island. It's on HBO max worth checking out. If huh. you want some, some dumb fun, are you, are you saw you now, this, right? Are you now team monkey. No, I no. I'm Kong full on Godzilla. Okay, good. I'm just trying to make sure that we are a pro Godzilla podcast no. that like, if there is justice in this world, then Godzilla will rip King Kong in half. Fuck yeah. That's not how it's going to go down. It, it won't. Um, because they won't be like, ah, ape represent man, man prevail against lizard God. <laughs> that's true. Actually, that's a good point. <laughs> I, I'm always saying this man prevail against yeah, lizard God. We know, we that's know your analysis of every here. fucking movie. <laughs> I, um, I really am curious about revisiting Peter Jackson's King Kong mm. after watching this. Cause I, I remember loving that movie and I'm so scared that it just won't hold up. I wanna, like much of Peter Jackson's post Lotor at work. I want to rewatch it for the opposite reason because I saw it as a kid and I fucking hated that movie. Really? Yeah, because okay. it's really slow. It's like not exciting for a child to watch. It came out in like hey, 2004, man. 2005, 2006. It was, it was like his project right after Return yeah, of the so King. Yeah, so like 05, 06, yeah. something like that. Dude, you're not excited about Adrian Brody? Just Hey, well now I love me Hamming Adrian it up Brody, with... Okay? Uh, Jack Black and Naomi Watts. It's a yeah. fun time. Oh, uh, breaking news. Uh, Coda won the audience award for dramatic competition hey, and Summer of Soul won the audience award for documentary. Makes okay. sense. There you go. Who, uh, Once again, you Sparks getting overlooked. King Kong versus Rampage. Uh, oh, uh, George. Oh, my God. So um, it's uh, so I think that King Kong King versus Kong, George Kong wins but, versus Davis Okoye. No, but Davis Davis beats both of them. Davis Okoye destroys. He kills fucking like, Godzilla. Dude, this, man. Is, this is a tough question. OK, so the jury's out on this one because Rampage is set in modern times. Mm-hmm. This iteration of Kong is set in the 70s. The, the Kong timeline is all over the place because the original was like in the 30s or something okay davis okoye but, invents time okay, travel what about Dave, <laughs> davis okoye davis versus, okoye goes into a tenant time uh turnstile davis okoye versus uh <laughs> nico tatopo uh played by matthew broderick in the 1998 godzilla film. Wait, <sighs> i just realized something mm. davis okoye is king kong because he goes into the turnstile and then he goes all the way back to the 30s. Mm-hmm. And during that time period, he transforms into a giant yeah. ape. And every time the uh, all like the military shoots like a million bullets into George, he gets another scar <laughs> on Davis Okoye. Yeah. 
And like, like eventually he just like doesn't have a head. (laughs) So when Rampage, uh, when George go through turnstile, does he come out as the rock in the Fast and the Furious movies? Well, you you don't. There's no turnstile that big. Well, not yet. Or has there always been one? Oh, shit. I guess that's going to be the big Tenet reveal. Tenet has fried my brain and I can't have Tenet 2 is just about anymore. a bigger turnstile. <laughs> 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 For a giant they really, Yeah, they realized the big monkeys monkey. couldn't fit through. <laughs> so they're like, damn, we got another scientist like yeah. fucking like sends it all back in time and then kills themselves. No, okay, okay. Look, this this is how it plays out. Remember how Nolan said he was a huge fan of the Fast and Furious movies? Tenet 2 is Fast and Furious 10 it. Oh. The 10th Fast and Furious movie is Fast and Furious 10. Oh it. shit. And it's the Dwayne the Rock Johnson driving a car into uh-huh. a turnstile and becoming <laughs> King Kong. A, a car. Oh. <laughs> now can he become car? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what if they figure out a way to make the turnstile the car? It's a turnstile that you drive around. Well, that's just Back to the Future. (laughs) (laughs) We can't do that. It's literally Back to the Future. (laughs) Wouldn't that be the best pitch for the 10th Fast and Furious movie, though, if they brought in Christopher Nolan to direct it? If only this fallout would have come sooner, and then that could have been it, and Vin Diesel would have just been delivering monologues of just saying words that he has never spoken in his entire life before. God, I can't I can't think of any other option anymore. Mm-hmm. Anything else is going to dis- I think they already announced Justin Lin as directing it, though, so I guess we're out of luck on that one. Well, for now. Kong Skull Island, though. Fun movie to just put on, just have a stupid time watching. It's one of those movies that should have been a lot better because of the cast. It's just an absolutely stacked cast. Yeah. John C. Riley, Samuel L. Jackson, uh, Shea Wiggum, uh, Tom Hiddleston, Brie Larson. There's just like so many people in it. And it's just like somebody's trying here. Like the movie looks gorgeous. Who made know? it? It's this guy named uh, Jordan Vogue Roberts. Um, who made he made like a tiny indie movie called Kings of Summer and then he just like landed this yeah and now he's slated to make the Metal Gear Solid movie hmm. Um, so we gotta stop with just trying like Disney pulled it off a couple of times and they're, every other studio is like yeah it's that easy yeah we just find whoever just made this movie with uh like an under a south of a million dollar budget yeah. and then we're just like yeah here's but, 250 million dollars you know what the ironic kong movie the, the, the ironic thing though is that the stuff that's the best part of this movie is not like the character stuff the best stuff is like the big cgi action the the big like colorful set pieces that make it feel like it's really riffing on apocalypse now because it's set in the 70s so it's like hey guys we're set in the 70s so that means and and we're set in vietnam so that means this is going to be exactly like apocalypse <laughs> now um is that good it's fine it's fine it's fine <laughs> the thing that pissed me off the most was like they try to do a romance between tom hiddleston and brie larson uh-huh. and it's like this is the worst thing brie, i've seen in my life no way man <laughs> those are also just two uh, actors that I really just don't see like pairing up. Yeah, I don't see them having any chemistry. Like I don't see them having chemistry with hardly anyone. Yeah. You know, I know um, actually, it's like a little hunk boy for some people. But, um, uh, actually, Loki and Captain Marvel never met, mm-hmm. so they off. would never have a romance yeah. together. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. check it out. It's on HBO Max. I'm gonna try to do some prep before the new Godzilla. Dude, you movie. gotta watch the 1998 excitement. Godzilla movie. Dude, they have all on, of them. I had on, that movie on VHS as a kid, and I don't remember a single thing from it, but I know it's known as just being a fucking disaster. The first one, the very first one. No, no, no. The first Godzilla is incredible. The first oh, no, 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 no. I'm talking oh, about the 1998 the, Yeah, yeah, the Matthew, Matthew Broderick. Broderick. Yeah. Oh, fuck, yeah. No, the best part of that movie is the Seal uh, music video. Yeah, of course. What's it called? Uh Oh wait, no, it's Puff it's Daddy. Kiss by a Rose. It's yeah. Puff Daddy. It's not Seal. <laughs> I'm thinking Batman of Returns. I'm thinking of Batman, Batman and uh, Robin. Bat, no, no, no. Batman Returns. It was the second one. It was for Kiss uh, from a Rose. Yeah. Okay. Um 
Yeah, I guess I'll do that. No, the original Godzilla movie is a masterpiece. Go watch that. I think that that's on HBO Max. Too, yeah, that's what it? I was about to say is they have a bunch of these. That movie on is here. fucking incredible. Uh, it's like kind of silly, the animation stuff, but like the story works really well because Godzilla is like the metaphor for climate yeah, change. Exactly. There's Japanese people who are like worried well, about nuclear yeah, nuclear fallout. Yeah, worried about nuclear fallout right post World War Two. Yeah, it, it it won't be a main review on the show, but I still I'm still, you know, sometimes you got to put that on might be something it. that might be the only thing we might have to do a full review for it. No, no, <laughs> not worth it. I'm going to um, see that movie in D box and just have like Godzilla spit in my face. Yeah. Spit that vaccine in your face. Yeah. Well, that about does it for these this week on the show. Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe check out the stuff that we mentioned give us north of a four star rating let us know what you thought uh and stick around we have a review of malcolm and marie next week and then the week after that we've got judas and the black messiah and then we get to see nomadland and minari so i'm very very excited for that and then our nick cage series starts so lots of good things around the corner stick around Email us, follow us, Letterboxd, Twitter, all that good shit. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.